You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we've been learning and applying the core values of our church. The 11 core values of Gospel Light spell the acrostic of the name of our church, Gospel Light. So we finished the word gospel. We've been through six months. Gospel has six letters. January was G. God is number one in our lives. February was O. The opportunity to grow is always before us. S. Service with excellence. Excellence is our focus. P. People matter more than projects. E. Evangelism is our focus in every possible way. And then L. Last month. Love is our reason For sacrifice. And I'm excited this morning to introduce to you a combination of core values that we'll teach over the next two months. We're going to combine July and August, and in so doing, we're going to teach for eight weeks on the Beatitudes. We're calling this series The Pursuit of Happiness as we look at the Beatitudes of Jesus, a divine blueprint for happiness. And and, and I really believe that these Beatitudes will fit perfectly and correspond with our core values, beginning with July's core value. The statement is this, laughter is our key to ministry. And the next level statement, as we always have because of our yearly theme, is living with happiness at the next level. I love these theme verses. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, Psalm chapter 126 and verse 2, and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then I love Proverbs 15, 13 with a The wise man says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. And I want to go on record to to say this morning to my faith family this, that nothing is more fun than serving God with the people you love. I I mean that. Nothing is more fun. I'm having a blast already this morning. I mean, I I, I mean that. This is not just a way to, uh, you know, make you feel good about yourself. This is honestly the truth. I love serving God with you. I, I got to do it this weekend with so many And uh, I just, uh, this morning, meeting volunteers that got here early, had a new volunteer show up and say, hey, I'm ready to go. Where's the nursery? And that was just so awesome. And I am having a blast. And so in the month of July, we're going to use the Beatitudes and this idea of blessed, which means happy, and we'll get into that more later in the introduction. But laughter is our key to ministry. And then the core value statement in August, L-I, I, involvement is by all is our aim. Our next level statement is to serve God together at the next level. And our theme verses are 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it. Use the gift that you've received. No one is without a gift. Each one of us in Scripture have been instructed clearly that we have a, a gift. And we use that gift to serve one another. Why? We want to be good stewards of God's varied grace. And then Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name, serving the saints as you still do. So for eight weeks, we're going to think about living with happiness at the next level. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this for just a moment. What would it take to make you happy. Now I know that we quickly, if we're in church and we're sitting here together, the first response is going to be like the ultra spiritual response, right? I mean, we're church, right? We got to give the response that is kind of a coined response, you know, 
But at the end of the day, I, I want you to think a little beyond that because I think we've all been guilty potentially of, of answering the question in a different way. Well, if I just had, if I just was married, I'd be happy. If I just had kids, I'd be happy. What about friends or social life? If I just could have more friends or a better job, I just want to be in love. I promise after that, I'll be happy. Maybe it's recognition or success or personal growth or owning your own home or being attractive or beautiful or living in a certain place. You know, the interesting thing is that I have found in pastoring for 31 years that most of the, 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 the attempts that people make to be happy are through external circumstances rather than the internal. The popular idea of happiness is this, having the right circumstances. It's what I call when and then thinking. When I get out of school, then I'll be happy. When I have a job, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When my kids move out of the house, then I'll be happy. And it's just a constant pursuit of happiness. Americans are pursuing happiness frantically. And in my years of pastoring, I've come to find that, and maybe you would agree that there are probably more than this, but I think there's three ways that the world searches for happiness. At least the top three would be, first of all, by accumulating things. Just possessions. Money. If I could just, and I've heard this, I've heard this in 31 years, dozen times in, in, our, in our church family. If I could just win the lottery, I promise I'd be happy. Howard Hughes, who was a 20th century philanthropist and <clears throat> heavily involved in aviation, made a lot of money in filmmaking, multi-millionaire. Howard Hughes was asked the question, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He answered like this, a little bit more. A little bit more. I think secondly, people pursue happiness frantically by experiencing pleasures. We're always searching, maybe potentially, at least I have, and, and I don't know if you have ever done this, but kind of searching for the next thrill. Anybody got a bucket list, right? And we look at that bucket list as the way to happiness. Man, as I can check off these things that I really want to do before I die, this will make me happy. I just need a vacation. And I promise, you know, in fact, Hey, I used to be guilty of this, telling my wife when it got really busy and the grind was overwhelming and I was coming home late. Don't worry, we're going on a vacation. It's going to be okay. <laughs> or maybe by achieving success. Recognition, status. Social media has really made this a way that people are aligning their happiness with how many followers they have, how well they're known. The popular idea of happiness is having the right circumstances. But Jesus, Jesus taught the pursuit of happiness is having the right attitude. Almost 2,000 years ago, on those grassy slopes of Galilee, Jesus taught something that astonished his Jewish listeners. In fact, in that famous Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 and ends in Matthew chapter 7, we see in verse number 28 that Jesus said when he finished these sayings, rather, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. 
In other words, it blew them away. And may I say 2,000 years later, these teachings have influenced the thinking of mankind ever since. Here, Here I am preaching this morning from a passage that astonished the listeners then and continued to astonish the listeners now. Because it addresses man's greatest pursuit, happiness. Eight statements, eight beatitudes, the divine blueprint for happiness. So go with me for a moment in the theater of your mind. And as opposed to me reading the text, let's just let the text be read from a scene in The Chosen, and then I'll preach. Jesus is talking about eight ways to be blessed by God. And you know, as your pastor, I want to, I want to confess something to you. I desire for you to be blessed by God. What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't desire that? I have a deep desire and concern that our people understand how important it is for God to bless their lives. I want God to bless your relationships with each other. I desire God to to bless your marriages. If you're a student in school, I want God to bless your education. If you're you're in business, I want God to bless your finances. I, I desire God to bless your health, for God to bless your talent, for God to bless your future. I'm extremely interested in how to receive the blessings of God. And so as we study Scripture, we find the problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. We need to live in a way that God can bless. I don't know if this is a word, but we need to be blessable. So when Jesus starts his famous sermon, the first thing he begins with is eight conditions of receiving God's blessings. He goes up into the mountain. I thought that was interesting in verse 1. Next level, he's going up. And as he goes up into the mountain, he teaches from the very outset of this famous sermon... Eight conditions of receiving God's blessings in your life. Maybe they are like a map to happiness. Each of these beatitudes begins with the word blessed. There's nine words that say blessed. The last two blessed connect with one beatitude to make for eight beatitudes. Nine blessed, but eight beatitudes. The word blessed in the Bible is the Greek word makarios. Makarios is the word for happy. To have a blessing is to have happiness in your life. When Jesus talks about you're blessed if you do this, he's saying you'll be happy if you do this. It's the exact same word. But as you can see, there seems to be a contradiction here, right? Because happy if you're poor, happy if you're sad, happy if you're persecuted? I mean, that's not my idea of happiness. What Jesus was saying is that you can learn to be happy in spite of your circumstances. I mean, listen, if you have to have all of your problems solved in life before you can be happy, is there any chance of ever being happy? I mean, if you have to have everything perfect in your life before you are happy, are you ever going to be happy? No, Jesus wants to teach us that happiness depends not on the right circumstances, but it depends on the right attitudes. My happiness is not determined by what's happening around me. My happiness is determined by what's happening in me. 
Jesus is saying it's not how much we have. It's what we are that makes us happy. Happiness does not depend on the external, the atmosphere outside. It depends on the internal, the attitude inside. These eight beatitudes are the attitudes in the pursuit of happiness. In church family, happiness is a choice. And you make the choice. You choose your attitude. Right now, at 1122, everybody in this room, whether you're happy or sad or somewhere in between, you're about as happy as you want to be. That's the truth. Life can be tough, right? Things don't always go our way. Am I right? It's the truth. I, I, I grew up, had a, had a preacher tell me one time, and he was, he was accurate, I think. He said, Eric, I want to I encourage you a little bit. I said, what's that? He said, life is hard and people can be cruel. I said, thank you. But to an extent, he's right. Life can be difficult. People can be cruel. Things don't always go our way. I remember this last season, champion Tigers, the basketball team, uh, ended up uh, being seated number one in the NWCAA by the time we got to the regional tournament. We were ranked number one. So I drove the bus, and my son Mo coaches the team, and, and we, we drove all the way to Oklahoma City to, to play the, the lowest-ranked team in our region because we were the number one seed, right? We didn't play well, but fortunately, at the end of the game, with three seconds left, we're down by two with the ball. So you feel pretty good, right? I mean, we're down by two. We've got the ball. There's three seconds left. Mo calls a timeout. Says, look, just get it into, name's the player. He's the highest free throw percentage, 87%. Let's put him to the line. They're in the double bonus. He's going to get two shots. He makes one. We're up by three. He makes two. Game over. Come back on the court. Three seconds left. We take the ball out, get it to the guy. But instead of letting someone follow him, he frantically quickly takes it up for a layup. Instead of running timeout or just getting fouled. And guess what? Luke knows what happens. Guy sets up for a charge and gets the charge. Luke's a referee. That's why I said Luke. Gets the charge. They got the ball. There's 0.8 seconds left. We're down by two. They're taking the ball out at their end of the court. They throw it in. He, he, he heaves up. He's about halfway between the half court and the end of the court. The opposite way. He heaves up some sort of a hook shot and it goes in. And we lose by one after being up by two with three seconds left and the ball. Can you tell I'm still bitter? I'm not. I sat there and thought, the first thing I thought about was, what's he going to say? I don't normally go in the locker room. I just go to the bus and pull it around. I know my place. But I did this time. I said, let me see if my little boy is growing up. Honestly, I didn't know if I could handle this one. It was like the biggest gut shot I've ever seen live in sports, ever. And it was our team. I go in the locker room, and I stood in the corner where no one knew I was there. I was in the corner, and I could hear the, there was no talking. It was a little crying, but no talking. I hear Mo give out this massive sigh. <sighs> Gentlemen. We just found something out together. That life is bigger than the game of basketball. He said, you know, guys, you win some and you lose some. And today we lost. But he said, you know what I found in life, guys? 
is that sometimes in the loss, you learn more than you do in the win. We've learned some things today about ourselves, but one thing doesn't change. Jesus still loves us. If you're saved, you're still saved. And if you're hungry, let's go eat. I'll meet you on the bus. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. He made a choice. Are you going to take the circumstances that you were dealt and, 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 and blame the guy that should have done something when he didn't do it? What kind of choice will you make? What is the decision? There's always a, de- a decision to make. Happiness depends on choosing the right attitude. That's why the title of our message this morning as we begin this series is this. Happiness depends on depending on God. And we're going to see that clearly in today's text. In Matthew 5, 3, blessed Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to see the first attitude. There's three. Let's look at the first one. Are you ready? Here it is. The first attitude is this. Recognize your desperate need for God. Let's connect that with this statement that we're going to find out more about, poor in spirit. Let's recognize this desperate need that we should have for God. Why did we just sing, yet not I, but Christ in me? What is that all about? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean first. He's not talking about physical poverty. Because he didn't say, blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about economic poverty. He's not not talking about material poverty. He's talking about maintaining a certain type of attitude. So I thought what might be helpful is if we took some other translations of the same verse where we can actually see a fuller understanding of what it means to be poor in spirit. Let's look at the paraphrase first of the Message Bible. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. The Phillips translation. How happy are the humble-minded, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. Yet not I, but Christ in me, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I like the Amplified here. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired, are the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, don't miss this, both now and forever. And then the contemporary English translation, God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. Can you see in these translations and the one we're reading this morning, can you see a pattern beginning to develop here? It's as if The poor in spirit is saying, I recognize that I am inadequate to live my life without God. I'm inadequate to do that. Poor in spirit has to do with your attitude inside you. Poor in spirit is opposite to being high-minded or self-sufficient. And yet I have a word of caution to all of us this morning. Poor in spirit is not poor self image. Rather, poor in spirit is a sense of inadequacy. Ultimately, what it's saying, church family, is this. I'm nothing without God. I'm nothing without God. 
A verse to clarify this might be found in Psalm 146, verse 5, where it says, Blessed, the same word, happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Solomon, the wise man, said in Proverbs 16, Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The bottom line is this. I need God in my life. I need God in my life. I do. I I can't preach without him. I can't be a husband without him like I should be. I can't be a good dad. I can't be a good friend. There's nothing that I could do adequately without God in my life. Perhaps the word humility is another way of saying poor in spirit. And I believe the first condition in the pursuit of happiness is this. You have to look for God for your help and your source of hope with a sense of humility. Simply put, you've got to trust Him. You've got to depend on Him. It's what we've been singing about this morning. But 51 years ago, a song came out written by a man by the name of Andre Crouch. He's in heaven now. He died at the age of 72 singing gospel music. He wrote hundreds of songs But his most famous song influenced my life as a young Baptist preacher. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God brought blessed consolation that my trials in life would only make me strong. Do you know this one, Sharon? Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through cancer, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. I never forgot that song. I sing it often. Not because I've memorized it, but because I've sung it so often through it all. I've learned to depend on God. And this is what the Beatitudes are teaching us, how to learn to depend on God. Let me give you a definition of the first Beatitude for this morning. To be poor in spirit means that I humbly depend on God instead of myself. Because I know that I'm inadequate to handle all of the problems that face me in life. So, if, if I want to be happy in my relationship with, with my girlfriend, if I want to be happy in my relationship w- with my boyfriend, if I want to be happy with my relationship with my wife, I must learn to depend upon God. If I want God's blessings in my career, if I want God's blessings in my marriage, if I want God's blessings in my studies, if I want God's blessings in my finances, if I want God's blessings in my health, I have to humbly depend on God instead of myself. Happiness depends on depending on God. So if I am poor in spirit, if I get there, then what is the result? What does it result in? Let's go to the second point, the second attitude, shall we? The second attitude of the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's the announcement. It's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Number two, the second attitude is to rejoice in your deliverance by God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I love the way Phillips put it in his translation, both now and forever. I love that. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm part of a new kingdom, a new rule, a new power. For the Jew here, he was under the oppressive kingdom in Rome. The Jew that was listening to Jesus teach on that grassy slope. But I am under a new rule. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm rich toward God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs alone, those who come to Christ. Those who are poor in spirit. Yes, we have a kingdom forever. A spiritual kingdom. There's a future kingdom. Yes, there is. The millennial reign of Christ. And I'm looking forward to that. But the rule of Christ is now. We are overcomers now. We have grace now. Glory later, but grace now. Because you are poor in spirit, because you are totally dependent upon God, you have kingdom benefits now. He takes care of you. He fulfills the needs of your heart. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Being poor in spirit and humbling ourselves before God has great kingdom benefits. Can I share three with you? At least three that I've experienced. Number one, one of the kingdom benefits of being poor in spirit is it reduces stress. Everybody happy? You know why you're looking at me like that? Because you're stressed. And you're thinking, oh, no, I need this benefit bad. I, I hear this oftentimes in the, in, as a pastor. I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I'm just so stressed. Pastor prepping me. I'm stressed. I get it. The world is stressed. I mean, anxiety is the books that are bought more than any other book. Medicine, people have to deal with their stress through medicines or through other ways. It's crazy, the stress and anxiety in our society today. I say... A kingdom benefit of being poor in spirit is it reduces stress. You say, how in the world does it do that? Well, when you relinquish control to God, it's like, God, this is too big for me. I, I, I'm stressed out. I've got anxiety over this. I'm, I'm going to lay this at your feet, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You want to reduce your stress level? relinquish your control to God. Secondly, another thing that I've learned as a kingdom benefit of being poor in spirit is that my relationships are greatly improved when I'm poor in spirit. My marriage with my wife is improved because nobody wants to be married to an arrogant, haughty, boastful husband. Right? And I've had my moments, honey. I have. I've learned a lot. <laughs> Still learning, but I'm, I'm doing well. I think. You can ask her after. Maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. Listen, woman, I'm the man of the house. You know, we've heard it in our old churches, bless God, you know, all that stuff. Pity the fool. What are you thinking? That's not going to help your relationship with your wife. But being poor in spirit, treating her better than you treat yourself, Loving her like Christ loved the church. A boss who loves his 
the people he works with and the people under him like this with a poor in spirit attitude, a humility, a serving others, a servant-mindedness, not being arrogant, not acting like he's the, he is the boss and, you know, I'm the one that signs your paycheck. Who wants to work for somebody like that? You want to improve the relationships of the people you work with, be poor in spirit. Thirdly, I think it greatly, another kingdom benefit is this. I can be myself. You say, Pastor, haven't you always been yourself? Uh-uh. I have faked it so much you wouldn't believe it. You're like, really? We've had a fake for a pastor. Yes, you have. Before, at times. Come on now. Every pastor in here kind of knows a little bit of what I'm talking about or every guy that's ever had to do this because oftentimes we fake it till we can make it. I mean, we're, we're, because of what I said last week, we've been placed on this pedestal. So guess what? We've got to live up to what you're thinking about us. When the truth of the matter is, when we are just real and honest, we're not perfect. We, we, we make mistakes. We don't have perfect marriages and perfect kids and perfect situations. And so when we can be just real and honest, it's a game changer. In the kingdom of heaven, the Lord lifts up and exalts his own. The world says, assert yourself, but Jesus says, humble yourself. Humility is the first step to happiness. Humility releases God's power in your life. James chapter 4 and verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God gives grace to the poor in spirit. Pride weakens us. But humility exalts us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I humble myself by casting my anxieties on him. Church family, happiness is for the humble. It's for the humble. So then the question comes, well, how do I do it? How do I actually do this? What are some practical ways? How do I actually depend on God, Pastor, tomorrow morning? I mean, tomorrow morning, I'm already thinking about it. Get back to the grind. You ought to see my to-do list for just tomorrow. I mean, Tony, you own a business. I know how it is. I mean, you got a lot facing you Monday morning. I mean, I already know. There's payroll on Friday that's coming soon. I mean, there's deals that have to be sold. There's things that have to be done. There's, there's, there's expectations that have to be met. There's deadlines that have. I get it. How do I practice this on a, on a daily moment-by-moment basis? Are you ready for number three attitude? You're going to love it. Here it is. Relax and depend on God. Anybody like to relax? Come on. Three? Four? Oh, it's getting better. Okay, okay, okay. I love to relax. In fact, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. My sister-in-law, Cindy Capace, who is really, and my wife, we, we talk about this. She doesn't care about this, but she's the best cook I know. Now, my wife's amazing, but I'll tell you, that chick right there, she can cook. So guess what she did? 
she made a pot of red gravy. It's sitting on my oven right now. It's gurgling. When red gravy gurgles, it's good. And the little red stuff spits up on the ceiling, and you're like, who cares? We'll get new ceiling tiles. Let's eat. And so what you do is you premeditate the sin of gluttony. It's amazing. And no, I'm just kidding. Okay, sorry. Everybody put their hell on preacher. You're blowing it now. No, you just, you get full, right? And then what do you do? You take a nap. You relax, right? Man, there's nothing like a Sunday afternoon where you just, you know, just, you just relax. I want to talk to you about how to relax and depend on God. I think there's three ways to do this. It's an attitude. First of all, I depend on God's wisdom, not my own. Relax. Don't try to figure this out. Be careful about how often you say, well, I just feel like, well, I just feel like, well, in my opinion, well, I just feel like, wait a minute, relax and depend on God's wisdom, not your own. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own wisdom. In all your ways, everything that you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you manage your relationships, acknowledge God in all of that. Acknowledge God and He will direct your paths or make your paths straight. In other words, I listen to what God says. I I, I follow what God says to do. I trust in the Lord. I don't lean to my own understandings. Listen, just because you thought it or felt it doesn't mean it's right. Isn't it interesting how Scripture says in Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way which seems right? It seems right. It feels right. Like the old country song, how can it be so wrong if it feels so right? Has something ever felt so right to you? I mean, just, it feels so very, very, very right. This relationship, this, this, I just, it felt so good. It felt so right. It just seemed so good. The job just seemed so perfect. It just seemed like that was what I needed to just, it just seemed so good. Or maybe, you know, I I thought what what I should have said to my kids, I just, I thought this, this is what I need to say, but but it hurt them at the end of the day. It didn't help, it hurt. The truth of the matter is, is sometimes we depend on our own wisdom and it gets us into a a dead end. And yet Jesus says here, don't lead on your own understandings, but rather in all your ways acknowledge him. Here's the bottom line. Depend on God's wisdom and not your own. Got to be in the word. So important to read God's word on a daily basis and let him speak to you through his word. And as God gives you scripture and as he teaches you and as you sit through services in small groups and other venues where you're receiving the word of the Lord, you'll have more wisdom. And then guess what? You can ask for it and he gives it. And you'll say less and less, well, I just feel like, well, it just seems like less and less of that will come out of your mind and more and more. God's word says. Number two, the second way to relax, to have that relaxing attitude in life, is to depend on God's strength and not yours. Depend on God's strength. Psalm 84 and verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. I have a question for everybody here this morning. Do you ever get tired? 
Listen, last night was a late night. I mean, a lot of folks who helped got home at 10.30, 11, 11.30. My good friend, uh, Brad Cranston, I don't even know how late he got in. I don't want to ask him because I'm afraid what he'll say. I know he worked a long time. People worked late. Desi worked late. Danielle worked late. I mean, folks were helping us. And, and, and it's just amazing. I know they're tired this morning. I already know that. End of the day, you run out of energy. But can I tell you why you're tired? Are you ready for this? It's brilliant. You're human. That's why you get tired. You run out of strength. Humans have limited strength. God has unlimited strength. Humans run out of energy. God never runs out of energy. That's why God says that you can do all things, but only through Christ who strengthens you. So I need to depend on God's strength and not my own. Much like Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 says when it says, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The reason why someone doesn't get through it, whatever it is, is because they're not depending on God's strength. As a pastor, for 31 years, I've, I've witnessed in certain situations, people never get through it. I've seen divorce, and they just never get through it. I've seen couples break up, young couples break up, only never to trust anyone again. I've seen people go through illness and never really get through it or trials, or get fired from a job, and just never get through it. Why? They're depending on their own strength. Because the only way to get through the darkest days of your life is to depend on God's strength. It's the only way. You've got to depend on Him. And so tomorrow morning, Tony, when you wake up, and you get to the, where those trucks load up on the insulation, or whoever you are, wherever you work, when you get to work and that first conflict happens, you say, how do you know? It's going to happen. I mean, come on. Daniel, you're in business, you know. I mean, tomorrow's not going to be perfect. There's going to be one thing. And probably in the morning, because the devil knows that way he can get you off track right away. Are you ready for this? So when you go to work in the morning and the first trial comes, Marlena, here's what I want you to do. God, I'm going to depend on your strength. And then about noon, there's going to be a text message. And it's not going to be a good text message. It's going to be somebody a little upset. I can't believe you said that in yesterday's sermon. That one, that one. I want you to look at that text message. And I want you to say, God, I can't do this alone. I'm depending on your strength. And then when it gets to be about 4 o'clock, and what happens at 4? Excuse me. Right? Energy's running low. But the problem is you got 17 more things to do, and you're yawning. Problem. Hey, God, I can't do it all. I need your strength. 
And then when you go to bed tomorrow night and you lay your head on your pillow and you start thinking about everything that you didn't do that day that's going to get added on to the things that you already couldn't do the next day. Hey, God, I need to sleep tonight. I want to relax. I'm going to depend on you for your strength. Depend on God's strength, not your own. And then number three, here's the third way to relax, and that is this, to depend on God's timing, not your own. I love Psalm 31. Listen to this, verse 14 and 15. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Oh, listen to this. My times are in whose hands? God's hands. My times are in your hands. You know, in sports, it's easy to see the value of time. I've learned one thing. The older I get in life, all of you over 50, over 60, isn't this true? The older you get in life, the more significant you realize timing is. In sports, it's easy to see. In basketball, guess what? You got 24 seconds each possession. You got 10 seconds to get the ball across court. You got three seconds in the lane. In cooking, it's, it's imperative to, to cook with timing. My wife cooked two beautiful cheesecakes this week. They were delicious. She mixed them up. She, they looked so good. She put them in the oven, and then she set the timer. And then when the timer went off, everybody in the house yelled, Mom, the timer's going off. And she ran to the oven, and she opened it up, and she took those cheesecakes out. Why? So they would be delicious. Timing. So important in these areas. But the right timing is God working in the right way in your life. And the fact is, there are seasons to our life, and one of the seasons in life is waiting. And there seems to be a lot of seasons of waiting in life. But while you're waiting, guess what? I'm going to let you finish. While you're waiting, God is working. He's working. And if you don't figure out how to trust God while you're waiting, you're going to spend a lot of your time not trusting God. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? (laughs) I, I, I always seem to be in a hurry and God never is. God's eternal. God never gets in a hurry. But he's always on time. Our culture says don't wait. Do it now. Our culture says everything must be fast and furious. But God's word says different. And there's a promise in the Bible that tells you not only that God is working, but it tells you how God is working. And it's my last text for the the sermon. It's Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 22. The least one shall become a clan and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord in its time, in its time, I'll make it happen quick. In its time, I will hasten it. God will eventually make things happen quickly. And here is how God is often working in our lives. Would you not agree? We wait and 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 then all of a sudden, boom! What just happened? God, you're amazing! That's what happened to me this week. I'm not going to tell you. You can ask me after the service if you want to talk to me. But I had one of those moments this week. It's, it's, it's insane. I prayed. I have prayed for years. And it happened this week for me. 
one of those things where I just, I, I've been so frustrated. Like, why is this? And all of a sudden, and you know what's crazy? Is it was the right time. It was exactly when it needed to happen. I can see it now so clearly. I was wanting to hasten something that God was one knew. It just wasn't time yet because his timing's always perfect too. Just remember, a delay is not a denial. We think God is saying no, but God is really just saying not yet. Are you willing to trust me? And that's being poor in spirit and pursuing happiness. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you. There's more of God and his rule. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That's who you are. If you're here this morning and you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm talking about salvation, being born again, being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Maybe you've had experience by coming to church or being baptized or or maybe even you've been on a really good string of several years of being like really good. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a time in your life where you turn to the cross of Christ and trust only in what he did for you at Calvary for your salvation. If you've never done that, I invite you this morning. I'd love to have a moment of prayer with you before or after the service and rejoice. Or if you just need prayer, we'll be here. The altars will be open. But I'd like to do something as we usher into this song and begin to worship and close the service. I wrote a prayer that I I just thought you would pray with me today. It's a prayer that we can pray in response to the first beatitude. Asking God to help us to become poor in spirit. Would you join me in praying this? Let's do it together, shall we? God. Thank you for sending Jesus to teach us how to live. I want to take this first step in the pursuit of happiness. I recognize my desperate need for God. I am the poor in spirit. I want to rejoice in your deliverance. Knowing that the kingdom of heaven is mine, I want to relax and depend on you, God. I want to depend on your wisdom this week. I want to depend on your strength, not mine, this week. I want to depend on your timing this week. Help me to be patient and quietly trust you day by day and know that I am blessed. Father, we are blessed. We are so blessed. And God, I pray that this morning you would, Lord, as we begin to sing and worship and honor your name, Father, that that you would accept this sacrifice of praise on the altar of our hearts. As, Lord, we express our need to humble ourselves before a wonderful God who's willing to meet our needs and our inadequacies and help, Lord, fill those voids in our lives with your strength and not our own. God, we beg for your wisdom. We beg for your strength. God, we trust your timing. Father, we relax this morning in you. Father, I pray that you would just... Take total control of the next few moments. And Holy Spirit of God, may you have free and full reign as you move and work in our hearts. 
And if there's any decisions that need to be made, whether they're in their seats or at the altar or in prayer with a, with a pastor, God, we pray that we'd be so sensitive that whatever it is you call us to do, we'd be willing to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?